To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Nathan Wallace is New Zealand's leading neuroscience educator focusing on child development and how the brain works. Nathan joins us every fortnight. He's back again with us now. Hello, Nathan. G'day, Nathan. Kia ora, kia ora. How are you guys? Yeah, we're great, mate. Thank you very much for your time, as always. We love chatting with you. So, Nathan, something that's getting a lot of traction at the moment and something, Nathan, you've been heavily involved with is the NIB 4th Annual State of the Nation Parenting Survey. And it does highlight a few major concerns troubling New Zealand parents right now. So... There are some pretty confronting findings in this survey. What what in particular stood out for you about it? Oh, I think it was a bit of a fluke that we started this survey just before COVID. So it was four years ago, sort of had three years of COVID. So it's really captured that. And so what stands out for me is just how things seem to be getting worse rather than better. You know, I mean, yeah. unpredictability. Unpredictability is a major factor in mental illness, you know, Um so being in a predictable environment does a lot to keep us healthy and sane. And, mm. you know, a COVID environment isn't in its very nature is unpredictable. And then on top of that, the rising cost of living, it just seems to be every year you're seeing it get worse in, in this um, NIB survey, that the mm. parents' ability to manage home and family life, um, the number of parents that are going without essentials because they're finding, you know, the cost of living is just too much and cutting extracurricular activities. It's just a pretty dismal picture, really, of how hard parents are finding it at the moment. Yeah, man. So what sort of practical advice would you have for any parents under this stress? Um, it's a good old same stuff, really. It's that you can do, the free stuff is what really builds resilience in our kids anyway. It's spending quality time with the parents. You know, especially, I mean, I'm a big advocate of child-led play. We're not, not just you playing with the kids in the way that you want to, but playing with the kids in the way they want to and doing exactly what they want to do. Those are the sorts of things that kids remember when they get older, and those are the sorts of things that bolster their resiliency. Um, and it's, you know, it's cheaper than going to the movies. Really, you, you, you know, you spend 40 bucks going to the movies and you're sitting beside your kid, not interacting at all, watching a screen, you know. Um, Herein lies the child-led play. Herein lies the dilemma, though, Nathan, and I reckon it's in, increasingly common now. You know, often parents need two incomes just to keep their head above water. It's not about oh, getting rich. It's, it's not, they're not getting rich here. Yeah. So they're just time yeah. poor, stressed out, time poor. How do you create more time? Yeah. I mean, I talk about that thing called mate date, where you give your child 10 minutes a week at a predictable time where they basically sort of own you and all the parenting rules are out the window and they get to be the parent for 10 minutes. That gives a really high-quality boost to the relationship and it only takes 10 minutes. Mm. Um, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to create the time. You have to, because I don't want to, I mean, I'm not criticising parents at all. I've got huge respect for them and what they're doing. And like you say, they often need, you know, look at the house prices in Auckland. You need yeah. to have a two-income family just to be able to live here. Um, mm. So, yeah, and we're all increasingly, you know, urbanised. We're away from our extended families. We don't have that same family and network support. So I think the advice is to use the supports that are available to you. You know, so, I mean, I shifted away from Milton, my hometown. My brothers and sisters still live there. It was five generations of my ancestors lived there. But if I wanted to, you know, achieve what I wanted and work, I needed to shift away. So I've had mm. to have a, what I call a family of affiliation. I have a whanau around me of support people that aren't actually biologically related, but have become low family. So I think um, now's the time to use those supports. People often offer help and we go, oh, no, no, it's all right. I can manage. But I'd say at times like this, one of your key ways of getting through is to take that help you know when it comes to your kids um there's no such thing as being too proud i think mm, good so you were saying in the survey uh, nathan that something like 13 percent of the people say that they go without essentials like petrol and meal 
meals. Um, so yeah. how can parents cut out some of these? How do they cope with the, these simple costs? I don't really know. You know, like my expertise is around the brain, not really around um, economics. I know all I can go on really is when I was a parent. Um, when I had times when I was really poor, I know one of the things I did was bike to work. And I'm not a natural biker person. Like I'm very much a go-in-the-car person, but it actually got me quite fit and it saved me quite a lot in petrol per week. So I think parents often know that stuff. It's just, um, you know, there's no magic bullet. There's no magic thing they can do that's going to create more money. Do you know, Nathan, yeah, Grow vegetables in the garden, bike to work. Yeah, well, I read a line Sorry, once yeah. in a parenting book some years ago, and I thought it was very good, and it said, children are great observers but poor interpreters. They see everything, but sometimes their comprehension of what they're seeing is a bit off. And, I mean, it, yeah, you're talking about, you're talking about um, you know, finances here, and I think that is something that people are acutely aware of. I can recall one of my daughters, our youngest actually, because she was only very young at the time. She was maybe sort of seven or eight. And I'd been talking about money and saying something was tight. you know. Da, da. And then I just remember this vividly, Nathan. She said, are we going broke, Dad? And I was like, no, we're not right. going broke. Now, in her wee brain, she had heard mm. me talking with her, her mum and going yeah. about this and that. So how can parents, what conversations oh, can parents song. have yeah. with when money's tight? What should you say? I think you hit on something really real there because we kids really need to feel secure. So just like you said, we can make the comment about, oh, the electricity bill, but that mm. can be huge in the kid's head and they think we're going to cut, the electricity is going to be cut off. And so I think you want to have your children be, you know, a bit fiscally aware, but make them feel secure that you've got everything covered and that, you know, um, that it's a struggle, but you are going to cope. I think it's mm. ending with that resiliency statement when we're having the things, oh, things are a bit tighter now and, you know, mum's had to cut back her hours at work or whatever, um, so we're going to have to tighten our belts a bit. But, you know, we've done it before and um, we'll get through it fine. We just need to work together. You end with a positive, affirming statement and that just keeps the kids secure. Right. And Nathan, this survey says that uh, Asian, Maori and Pacifica families are feeling the pressures more than others. What advice would you have for, for yeah. them? I think it's the same for everybody else. I think they're having the pressures because they're traditionally at the bottom of the economic table, aren't they, those groups? Mm. So they're already mm. poor, um, just to be frank. And so mm. the poor people feel the, the pinch even more, you know, because they haven't got those reserves to fall back on. There's probably something there about all three of those cultures are collective cultures too, which take responsibility for a much wider group than, say, the nuclear family, which I know is a bit black and white because we do in, in Te Alpakia as well, you know, have concern mm. for our extended family. But there is a different... Um, collective consciousness where if your cousin's broke it's, and you've got money, it's kind of your responsibility to help them out, I think, more yeah, so than yeah, it is on the park outside of the family. Yeah. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. Pacifica. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting stuff if yeah, you want absolutely. to have a look at it, um, the NIB Parenting Survey. We're joined by Nathan Wallace, expert uh, neuroscience commentator. Thank you again, mate, for your time. Oh, good to be here. Right, Jason, first up, has got a question for you, Nathan. Hello, Jason. Hey guys, how you doing? We're great, thank you. What's your question, please? Uh, Nathan, I have a, a nine-year-old son. He's, he started um, competitive gymnastics maybe about eight months ago, and, and then he started the first competition, okay. and he did really, really well. He, to- he was told he was really good, and he could be very good. And then the second competition, he... You know, he just sort of broke down in nerves on the rings and couldn't do it, and I had to support him. And then the competition after that, he couldn't get out of the car. He was just, you know, the nerves were so extreme. Yeah. I could I could barely get him into the competition. And, and now the competition's finished, yeah. and we're heading towards six months till he prepares for level two. And I, 
I'm just really love to hear your advice on what strategies I can put in place to just help them get ready for this yep. sort of next session and combat that nerves because it's uh, yeah it's pretty heartbreaking. Yep. Yeah. Um, good on you, Jason. I think um, I would have a conversation with him about battling those nerves is just as much a part of preparing for a competition as you know um, doing your gymnastics. That really to be um, to be in a champion and excel. Um, the champions have to learn how to do that because what he's feeling is entirely natural and that it's just normal part of the human stress response system and that it's a nerve-wracking situation. So it'll be really important to validate that it's all right that he feels like he is. He's not a failure. He's not doing something wrong because he's being overcome with nerves. The part of his journey is to learn how to deal with those nerves and that's part of the journey of any great athlete. Um, I think it's also important to let him know that it doesn't, it's, the world won't end if he doesn't win and he's not the best at it. Um, that it's about the skills that you acquire, like learning how to manage those nerves, because he'll come up to lots of situations in life where new opportunities will present and he could be overcome by nerves and miss those opportunities. So now's a really powerful time for him to learn the skills and the self-calming techniques and the breathing techniques to calm himself through that. And I think I'd let him know about how anything you do new in the brain when you first do it is a new neural pathway. That's It's hard. When you first tied your shoelaces, it was hard. But after about 90 to 100 repetitions, once you've tied your shoes 90 to 100 times, you can now tie your shoes and talk to someone at the same time, and it's easy. It will become easy for him to manage those emotions eventually too. It just takes practice, and, and tell him he's doing really well. Excellent. Because he Excellent. is. A lot of hope... kids would have given up well before where he's got mm. to now. I hope that helps, Jason. Good stuff. Hello, Lee. Hi. How are you going? We are well, Tom. Thanks for calling. Thank you. What's your question? Please. So Nathan, I've um, my family over the last few years have experienced quite a bit of grief with losing my mother at 57 and my husband's mother at 60. And my four-year-old son oh, has lived through all of it, including me having an autoimmune disease, which is quite painful at times. And he's experiencing okay. quite a lot of attachment towards me and it's very compulsive. I love you, mummy. I love you, mummy. Don't ever go to heaven, mummy. I don't ever want you to go to heaven. Right. Um you know, around yep. processing that grief and those, those ideas that people just disappear. Yeah. And I just wondered if you had any advice around now, how I deal with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a really difficult situation to deal with. So he's four now and he's been dealing with that, did you say, for the last three years? Is that when your yeah, mum died? Yeah, he's four in a week. He's just under four, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's been really over his formative years that he's been experiencing this loss. Yeah, and, and he's, he's a loss. real... Yeah, he's a really bright little boy. So I've only recently been told that when he was 18 months at my mother's funeral, he was saying, Mummy's sad, Yaya's gone. And he was 18 months old. Right. So he's very yeah, okay. deep so for his age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are special organisations that you can get in touch with. Um, uh, I can't remember the name, one Bright Foundation or something that deals specifically with grief counselling. If you go to Google, cause I, just because I know I'm not going to better give you all the advice that I think you need and really deserve in a short space of time like this. So I'll do a Google search on grief counselling because there are people that will do grief counselling with children as young as four. It's not so much about him sitting on a couch and talking about his problems. It's just giving you the skills mainly to um, know how to respond to him to build resilience. So, you know, when he says, I don't ever want you to go to heaven, you say, oh, I don't think mum's going to be going to heaven for a very, very long time. But I'm sure you'd be fine if I did. You know, um, dad would look after you. You end with resilient statements like that. So he knows that, like his little brain has worked out there's a risk, but he is probably underestimating his ability to be able to cope with that risk. So remind Nathan, him of just how clever he is and how brilliant he is. 
And Nathan, is there a danger? And I hope you don't mind me asking this, Lee. Um, that you know yeah. look, he'll be he'll be long term suffer sort of anxiety as a result of these formative years. There's always a risk of that, but there's nothing in what um, Lee has said that makes me think that necessarily is going to be permanent. You know, um, because Lee, you've been dealing with that grief, but you've also been showing him resilience to that grief because you've got up each day, I assume, and still got him his breakfast and still been there to read him his stories. So so you've been modelling resilience at the same time. So I don't think it's going to... I mean, it's probably just going to make him a very empathetic little boy. And it sounds like he was already a very bright little boy. So I think it could just make him a wonderful human being. I don't think there's any reason to think it's going to be bad. That's good. Good luck, yeah, he Lee. Just needs Thank to you. That help and support. Hey, Nathan, there seems to be a common thread. And, and I think I just want this confirmed that when you're having these conversations with your children or these young people, that you mm-hmm. end up on, a, on yeah. the up, on a positive. Is that? Yeah, it is, is basically. You're exactly right. That's like the algorithm behind it, is that you, number one, calm them down. You know, whatever you can do to calm them down. That can just be setting the pace yourself, as in you just stop and take a nice, deep, slow breath before you talk to them, and that sets the pace, so that calms them down. Number two, validate what they're feeling. Because if we go straight to number three, which is provide that sort of optimistic, um, behaviour-based outcome, you know, thing that they can actually do to make themselves feel better, um, if we just go straight to that, it tends to invalidate what they're feeling and makes them think what they're feeling is wrong. So by saying, oh, yeah, I understand that could be really scary and why, you know, that would freak you out. Um, I think anyone would be scared or, or be anxious in that situation um, and mm-hmm. then go to, but, you know, we're really good at dealing with those sorts of things in our family. And, you know, I remember when this happened and we got through it this way and, um, and yeah, giving them the actual behaviours, you know, the, the things that mm-hmm. we can do that will make us feel better. Talk to mum and dad about it. Um, talk to nana and granddad about it. Yeah. Great. Now, we've only got like 90 seconds max left, but James has been really patiently waiting okay. on the phones here, Nathan. So, James, fire away. Sweet. Well, I'm not sure if 90 seconds is enough to answer you, but thank you any day, Nathan. I wanted to ask you about, okay. in the news today, we, we hear so much about um, how appalling our education system is. We've got, you know, falling literacy and numeracy issues going on. Is it an issue? From your opinion, with your experience, is it is, is, is a real issue? What, what are your honest thoughts of it? And if there, if, if there is a real yeah. issue, is there a country that you feel does education brilliantly that you think New Zealand should perhaps follow? So just keen to get your thoughts on it all. Oh, good question. Good question, good question mm-hmm. James. I love it. No, I think we have an excellent education system. You know, we can, I mean, you know, I can pick holes in it and I can pick parts. I often quote, you know, Scandinavian countries don't teach that formalised literacy until a, until a seven. But I'm picking pieces of something that I that I think are in areas that we need to improve. I think overall we have an excellent education system, you know, and I think internationally we're recognised for that. It's just not perfect. Um, in terms of countries that do it, you know, I do tend to look to Scandinavian countries. They have low levels of, um, you know, um, suicide, lower levels of anxiety and depression, and um, yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't sort of take, you know, that's a whole different culture there. Um, they have a whole different sort of zero to three life as well. So. Yeah, and I don't think there is any particular country that does it perfectly. I just think that in modern times, we've got access to all that research, we've got an excellent education system, but we can look and start going, actually, this bit here needs work, and this bit here needs work. I think that's all it is. I think we're pretty blessed, really. Very good. Nice to get your thoughts. Nathan, we really always thoroughly enjoy talking with you, mate. Thank you. Oh, I love it, mate. Thank you, bye. <laughs> really appreciate Thanks, it. Nathan. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.